Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please join me by turning to the book of Mark, chapter 1. This morning we're studying verses 21 to 39. And our message is titled, Moving from Wowing to Bowing. When I was first converted to Christ, it was in a context or in a group of believers that spent a great deal of time talking about the miraculous and talking about things going on within the spiritual realm. We talked a lot about healing and we talked a lot about demons. We didn't know much about either one of those things, but you would have never known that if you would have overheard our conversations or would have overheard our prayers. We prayed with passion when we wanted the Lord to heal someone. And we shouted with loud voices when we wanted the devil to stop tormenting someone that we loved. When I think back to some of those memories, a smile tends to come to my face and my head will usually drop a bit in embarrassment. But at the same time, at least we were talking about those things. We don't usually talk about either of those things in the Reformed circles, do we? In fact, once I became Reformed and before I found Sovereign Grace, I don't think I spent much time talking about the miraculous or thinking about the miraculous or talking or thinking much about what could be going on within the spiritual realm. My guess is that might be true for you as well. How much time, if ever, do you spend thinking about the activity taking place within the spiritual realm? How much faith do you really have that Jesus can and still does heal people? Well, as we prepare to this morning's, the study this morning's text, we're going to encounter both of those realities. Actually, Jesus is going to encounter both of those realities, and we're going to be standing on the sidelines with James and John and Andrew and Peter, and our jaws are going to be on the floor, at least they should be on the floor, as we witness Jesus' awesome power on display over demon and disease. And Mark is going to help us see the purpose behind all the miraculous activity. The purpose, which I think can be summarized like this. The display of Jesus' authority demands my allegiance as his disciple. Have you bowed your knee in total submission to Jesus? Now, if you would, please join me by turning your attention to what is undoubtedly the best part of this morning's message. The reading of God's holy, infallible, authoritative, and inerrant word. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, 
be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Wow. Thank God for his word. Let's take a second and go to the Lord, asking for his help to understand his word. Lord, I want to echo a prayer from the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians. Lord, that you would give us all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would know your will. God, that we would be filled with power to live lives of contentment. Lord, please open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first point this morning is the first mission trip, verses 21 to 28. One of my favorite things about going on a mission trip is the opportunity that the group who goes on the trip has, whether it's during the trip or following the trip, when the group gathers together and talks about things that the Lord did in and through them. I love hearing these stories. And I love the smiles that come across people's faces when they talk about lives that they got to witness being changed, whether it was their own life or the life of someone on the team or the life of someone that they were ministering to. Now imagine being there at this recap moment when Peter and Andrew and James and John recalled what they witnessed during their very first mission trip with Jesus. I mean, if you just think for just a moment, these guys were just called to follow Jesus. And just the verses right before our section, we find them fishing. And Jesus going to these fishermen saying, drop everything you have and come and follow me. And then immediately they're on mission, which is a picture of how the Christian life should be. Jesus calls you, you're on mission. There's no in-between. It's immediate. 
And these people, as soon as Jesus calls them, they're on mission. They're, they go to their first mission trip, and it's in the synagogue, and they witness Jesus doing incredible things. Imagine the smile that would come across the, their four faces, maybe even the tone in their voice when they talk about these memories. Lives of real people navigating real problems coming into an encounter with the real Jesus. So picture this scene. Jesus has just called them. They're fishermen by trade. They leave everything to follow him. And he leads this group into what is likely their hometown, the town of Capernaum, which has somewhere around 1,500 people. Not a very big place. Mark says that their first stop was the synagogue, which was a a place of worship in the Old Testament. A place where God's people would gather on Saturdays to hear the reading of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word. Mark says that as they enter the synagogue, Jesus begins to teach. And as he taught, Mark says in verse 22 that the people were astonished. People were amazed. Why? Why were they amazed at his teaching? Well, Mark tells us in verse 22, because he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Now, what does it mean that Jesus taught with authority? Does it mean that Jesus was really animated in his teaching? Well, maybe. Maybe it means that. Does it mean that Jesus had a red robe with a power tie, a red tie, and he wore that into the synagogue, and that was sort of him psychologically manipulating the group to think that he was communicating with authority? Well, no. Neither of those things are indicative of real authority. Listen, for Jesus to teach as one who had authority means... That he was teaching as one who laid claim on the hearts and the lives of the listeners. He laid claim on the hearts and the lives of the listeners. He lifts you up out of your seat. He teaches as one who makes eye contact with the people, not just physically, but spiritually. He teaches to the heart. He gets your attention, not by his grand stories, though he probably had some but by laying claim on your heart. In other words, he didn't just teach the people about God. That's what the scribes were doing. His teaching took people into an encounter with the living God. Jesus' teaching took people into an encounter with the living God. In other words, as he spoke the crowd would feel a lot of different feelings depending on where they were at in their life and what was going on in their life. They would have a lot of different responses and reactions. Some people would feel a great deal of of weight, of conviction as a result of their sin. They would feel the heavy ladenness, the burden of sin, the conviction of sin, the poking, the prodding of sin. Some would sense and see the love of the Father No one 
who sat under Jesus' teaching left the same. And as he's teaching, (laughs) Mark tells us something unusual happens. In verse 23, a man with an unclean spirit begins to cry out to Jesus in the middle of his message. And he says this, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, most of us preachers would have been panicking at this moment, at this great disruption and distraction. Most of us, probably even including myself, to my shame, would be worrying about, okay, how do we minimize this distraction? Who can we get? Peter, security team, someone get this fella out or this lady out of this situation. How do we escort them out of the room before things get more out of control? Jesus never gets rattled. There's not one single time in the Gospels where Jesus gets rattled. Or he's caught by surprise. There's not a single story where you find Jesus on his heels. <laughs> looking for, searching for ideas in his mind of what do I do now. Now listen. What's happening right here in Mark chapter 1. This is the very reason why Jesus came. What's taking place with this demonic man. This is why Jesus came. Listen. First John chapter 3 verse 8 says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. The reason that he appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So looking at this man with determination, Jesus doesn't shout or scream or make a scene. He simply says in verse 25, be silent and come out of him. There's no chanting, no rocking back and forth, no spells being cast. Jesus calmly says seven words, and this man's life was forever changed. Be silent and come out of him. And at Jesus' command, Mark says that the demon, in verse 26, convulsed him cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. The demon who had possessed this man and sat comfortably in the driver's seat of this man's life had just ran into a collision with Jesus where he is ejected from his unwanted position. What we are witnessing here is as Jesus says back in verse 15, The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is breaking forth into our world. The kingdom of God is breaking into our world. Jesus is is exposing Satan. And he is freeing people from Satan's torment. Friend. This should serve to remind us all of the power that Jesus has. The unique authority that Jesus has. So how can this affect you today? 
How can Jesus' authority affect you today? Well, praise God that because we are Christians, we can't be possessed by demons. That's a reason to celebrate today. Because we are Christians, we are filled and sealed. We are baptized by the Spirit and into the Lord. We are baptized by the Spirit. He brings us into union with the Lord. And because of that, because He inhabits us, our body can't be co-inhabited with demonic. can't be co-inhabited with evil. So it's not that we can be sealed with the Spirit and then be possessed by demons. That is a great relief. That when we read these stories and we hear about the terror and the torment that these demonic beings bring upon people that we can't be possessed by them nevertheless we can be influenced by the demonic we can be influenced by the demonic we can be tormented by the demonic we are often tempted by satan and his band of demons friend if any of this is relevant for you any of these things are relevant for you if you are currently tempted by Satan, tempted to sin, tempted to compromise, tempted to do something that you know is outside the bounds of God's word. There is one who has authority over the pressures of temptation that feel unwavering and unwielding. If you are here and you feel that you are being tormented, by the demon. Accusations in your mind and in your conscience and your heart are just flying at will like arrows from a bow, hitting you everywhere. And you're being tormented by Satan, the lies. The... You have one who is altogether more authoritative than him who can fling an arrow well, who can penetrate between armor who knows your weak spots, who knows the areas that will drive you to your knees. You have one who is altogether more authoritative, and that is your Lord. That is Jesus, and at one simple word, he falls. He stops. He is silent. That one word, it's all over. There's no stronghold in your life that's grip cannot be shattered and loosened by the Savior. The rest of this section records the reaction from the crowds. <laughs> Verse 27, Mark says, they, they were amazed. But don't misunderstand, friend. Amazed is not what Jesus is going for here. Amazed is not enough. What we are witnessing is the dullness and the dumbness of my heart, of your heart, the human heart. We're witnessing the, the dullness and the dumbness of the human heart here in chapter 1 to appropriately respond to the authority of Jesus. Listen, when Jesus speaks... 
Humans say, wow. And demons say, oh no. When Jesus speaks, humans say, huh, what is this authority? When demons say, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Sin has so blinded our eyes and deafened our ears that we are naturally unable to appropriately respond to Jesus' authority and His identity. Instead of wowing in this moment, the crowds should be bowing before the awesome authority of Jesus. So friend, what is your posture before Jesus this morning? Man, our culture is filled with people who wow at Jesus. It's filled with people who are enamored with his teaching, the golden rule of being kind to others and treating others like you want yourself to be treated. Our culture is filled with, with people who have high thoughts of Jesus. Jesus is not going for amazement alone. He's going, he wants his authority. He wants us to bow before his authority. He wants our lives to be in total submission to his rule and his reign in our lives. That leads to our second point this morning. The first home visitation. Verses 29 to 34. Well, what a day it's been, a busy day it has been for Jesus and the disciples, but it's not over yet. Following this remarkable scene at the synagogue, they quickly leave, and Mark says that they go to Peter's house. And as Jesus enters the front door, he is immediately informed that Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, verse 30. The reason that they tell Jesus this is, is amazing. I think it is heartwarming. It is, it is faith-building. Though it doesn't tell us why they say this, we can imply that they felt, they felt safe around Jesus. They felt, they felt that they could bring their things to him, that he wouldn't be burdened by their troubles, that he had just done so many things, but that they still felt like they could bring things to him. I think that is a beautiful, beautiful thing observation. Now remember, they just met him. <laughs> I don't know how long it has been, but they have just met Jesus. They may not even know his last name yet. They just met him, but it didn't take them long, long to realize that when people make contact with Jesus, amazing things happen in their lives. So Jesus responds to their request to see Peter's loved one. And Mark says that he walks up to her in verse 31, lays his hand on hers, and lifts her up. I think a takeaway for this could be that there is no request too small for Jesus. Jesus has done public ministry preceding this ministry in Mark chapter 1, where the crowds can can see him, where he can be, people can behold his glory. Yeah, that makes sense to us, right? Where you're seen doing good works in front of people, but now in the privacy of somebody's home, Jesus is still doing good things. 
Friend, I, I, what I want this to serve to remind us this morning is there is no request that is too small for Him. Do you have any problems that you feel are too small to bother with Him? You feel like in light of running the world, holding the world by the word of His power, you couldn't trouble Him with questions about your budget. You couldn't trouble him with questions about some problems that your car is having. Maybe the dishwasher is going out and you're thinking, I don't have the money for this particular thing. These are the very things that he wants us to bring to him. All of these things, little things, big things, all these things he wants us to learn that he wants to hear them. Bring all the requests, little or big, to Jesus. Verse 31, Mark says that he lifts her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. The unique identity of Jesus is being revealed right before their eyes. He not only had the authority to cast out demons, but he also had the authority to heal at will. Well, the fame of Jesus has spread since the interaction at the synagogue and as a result of his fame being spread in this small town, when night falls on Galilee, Mark says in verse 32 and 33 that, that the entire town hastily locates Jesus' whereabouts and they bring all of their sick and demon-oppressed to him. <laughs> This town of 1,500 people are all gathered at Peter's front door. Man, what a sight to behold. They're bringing everyone that they know who is sick or demon-possessed. But once again, this story teaches us a bittersweet point. People are coming to Jesus, but they don't have the discernment to see that our greatest problem is not sick bodies, but it is sin-sick souls. Our greatest problem is not sick bodies. Our greatest problem is that we have sinned against a holy God and are living under His wrath and will one day face that wrath in full righteous fury. That's the biggest problem. That sinners face. Not sick bodies. But here's what's amazing. (laughs) Though this is the case. Jesus doesn't refuse them. He doesn't stop them at the door and rebuke them. (laughs) He doesn't say to them, go home and do another Bible study And come back to me when you finally realize that your greatest problem is not your sin-sick bodies, but your sin-sick soul. No, that's not Jesus. And we're going to see that in the book of Mark. We're just going to see that he's far more gracious, far more generous, far more beautiful than we could have ever imagined him. Though people come to him and they don't have the full discernment of why they should come to him, he receives them. And he heals them. 
He welcomes them into Peter's home, and he begins to heal them and to cast out demons. His compassion is on display. I think the reason that this point is still encouraging to me is because I don't always come to Jesus for the right reasons. But this story reminds me that though we might come to Jesus for the wrong reasons, though our motives might be mixed at times, he won't turn us away at the door. Friend, how does Jesus' kindness serve to encourage you in your faith this morning? That leads to our third and final point this morning. The first retreat. Verses 35 to 39. Last summer, we spent a ser- we did a, a study, a series on the Spirit, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the sermons was about walking in step with the Spirit. One thing we're going to see in this last point is that Jesus was a person who walked in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that Jesus remained dependent on the Spirit to live for God. Mark tells us here in verse 35 that the next morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Imagine that. Upon coming to a new place, Jesus quickly identifies a place for prayer. Upon coming to a new place, perhaps for the first time, maybe he's been in this region before, but he identifies a place for prayer, a place where he alone can meet with the Lord. If you read the book of Acts, and this is a tangent, but I hope it serves to inspire you in your prayer life. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find that the apostles learned this from Jesus. And they are seen doing that. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul comes in into an encounter with Lydia, where is it? It's at a place of prayer. Upon going to a new place, Paul went to find a place for prayer. And there he comes into contact with a a woman named Lydia. And the Lord opens her heart to hear what Paul was saying. Where do you think Paul learned that? He learned this from the Lord. Jesus finds this place where he can meet with the Lord. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Because though he was fully God, he was also fully man and needed to give time and attention to his soul, to his communion with the Father through the Spirit. One commentator makes this really keen observation about the language of the desolate place that Mark is telling us about in chapter 1. He says, these texts suggests that Jesus deliberately withdraws from the people to return to an area which has the character of the wilderness where he encountered Satan and sustained temptation. Whoa. Did you you catch that? 
the language that Mark's using, what he's trying to communicate, what he is communicating. He's not trying anything. We're just trying to understand it. He's communicating clearly. He's communicating that Jesus, he finds a place that has the character and the remembrance of the place where he encountered the temptation with Satan. It's fascinating. Jesus saw, intentionally sought out areas for retreat that reminded him of the wilderness place where he met with the Lord. Places which no doubt reminded him of his communion with the Father. So what can we learn about Jesus' spiritual discipline on display in this text? Well, I think that we should observe how important it is to identify places where we can retreat in order to rekindle our relationship with the Lord. And once we identify those places, we have to regularly return to them. Here's an example from my life. Since I was converted in a three-hour worship and prayer meeting. I find that my affections are often stirred as I'm listening to worship music. But because I can't live on worship music alone, <laughs> man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. I cannot live on worship music alone. What I do is I put in earpods or headphones while I'm reading the scriptures a lot of times in the mornings. I turn on worship music as I'm, worship music as I'm studying God's word. There's something about that, something about, something about the music as I'm reading God's word takes me back to a memory, takes me back to a place where I first met the Lord or where he first met with me. It stirs my affections for the Lord. It stirs me up in a fresh way. It gives my heart a fresh sensitivity to live for the Lord in that day. Another thing that stirs my affections is when I spend time in prayer with other brothers and sisters. I wish I could do this every morning. I wish we could gather together for corporate prayer every morning. This is probably why I love our church's prayer meeting. One of the reasons, I think there are many ones, it's biblical too, is that I love it. I think it reminds me of something. And so friend, I would highly recommend you visit the prayer meeting, that you do intentional things to stir your affections with the Lord. Once you identify those things, you cannot neglect them. You have to return to them. You cannot rely on what you experienced with the Lord 10 years ago to sustain you today. You have to go back to Him every day. You have to go back to Him and taste afresh His mercy and His grace. You have to long for a fresh encounter with Him through His Word, through Christ, knowing Christ and loving Christ and adoring Christ. You want to see Jesus freshly each and every day. So friends, where are the places and what are the biblical spiritual disciplines that keep the fire of your love for the Lord strong? Identify them, 
He fanned them into flame. Mark says that while Jesus is away, praying in communion with the Father through the Spirit, verse 36, the crowds from the night before are back at Peter's house looking for him. But there's one small problem. Jesus is not there. He's away on retreat. But the disciples don't know where he is, so they form a search party and they begin to look for him and they find him in this desolate place. And when they find him, Mark records Peter's words, which I think is so humble of Peter, who is helping Mark. Remember, he's telling Mark, he's the one giving Mark the information to write in this account of the Gospel of Mark. Well, Mark records Peter's words, which have the tone of someone who is disappointed with Jesus's decision. He says in verse 37, everyone is looking for you. (laughs) Can you hear that tone? Everyone is looking for you. Moms, how many times have you heard that one from your husbands? My wife's heard it a lot. Sarah, they're all looking for you. They don't want me. They need you. Everyone is looking for you. In other words, what are you doing here when you should be back there? Jesus gently corrects Peter in verse 38 when he says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. (laughs) This is the first time that Jesus is going to correct Peter, but it will not be the last. Jesus needs Peter to understand the primacy that preaching plays in the advancement of the gospel. He's going to be one of the first preachers of the Christian church. And he needs to know convictionally the primacy of preaching in the advancement of the kingdom. And Mark says in verse 39, as Jesus goes through Galilee preaching the gospel, (laughs) the works of the devil are exposed. And as they are exposed, Jesus casts out demons and he heals the sick. Jesus has a preaching ministry that exposes the demonic and the healing. Not a healing ministry that exposes a need for teaching. It's a preaching ministry. It's a teaching ministry that exposes the works of the devil. And once they are exposed, then they attack them. They address them. I think that is, that, that's how we have to live. As Christians, that we are a church that knows the primacy of preaching for the importance of the advancement of the kingdom, and as individual Christians, that we know the primacy of sharing the gospel through word, sharing the gospel. You want to start a healing ministry, that's fine. But you need to have the word. You need to be proclaiming the word you need to be proclaiming the gospel first and foremost it's the gospel that exposes the works of the devil and then you address this you want to have a demonic ministry (laughs) i don't i don't have a blueprint for that one you have to have a ministry of the word ministry of sharing the gospel of going and and proclaiming the gospel and when those things are exposed address them the best you know how jesus you have authority over this demonic Or you want to pray for somebody's healing. Jesus, you can heal at will. Will you heal this person? You can cast this demon out. You have authority. 
But don't start there. Start with proclaiming the gospel. So friend, what does your relationship with Jesus look like these days? Are you like the crowds who are only full of wows when you think about Jesus? Don't get me wrong. And I think you know this. I always want to be amazed at the gospel. I want to live a life amazed by grace. But being amazed is not enough. Our wowing must lead to bowing before his authority. The display of Jesus' authority demands my allegiance as his disciple. Have you bowed your knee in total submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ, friend? Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for being with us, helping us. Thank you for your love for us in Christ. Thank you for giving us the spirit. Lord, help us to live our lives in total submission to Christ. Lord, as we transition now and turn our attention to a time of corporate care, as we spend time praying together, Lord, would you use this moment, this time where needs are, as the word has just been proclaimed, right? Lord, the word has just been proclaimed. Lord, would you please now expose areas in our hearts and in our lives that need to be addressed, areas of temptation that need to be prayed for, areas areas of, of sickness where hands need to be laid. So Lord, please, please come and help us to pray with one another and for one another. In Christ's name, amen.